you would stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We are in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. And all of God's people said, you may be seated. Tonight we're taking a look at Ephesians chapter 4, or Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we've already been in the study, and really, even if you went back to when we looked at Ephesians 4, 17, we have really been kind of covering the same topics or different aspects of it. And back in 4, 17, it said that we were not to live like the Gentiles who don't know better. They were darkened in their understanding. They cannot understand God or spiritual truth. They are also described there in the text as ignorant. So we, though, we are those who are called into God's family. We're to put off our old self, our sinful nature, put on the new self. Does it sound like we've been talking about the same topics in 1 Peter and here in Ephesians? Because we really have been a lot, haven't we? I think maybe God's trying to get our attention and say to pay attention to what I'm saying. Put off the old, put on the new. We're to live as those who are being changed to be more like Jesus. Last week, we specifically talked about being angry and putting off that anger and putting on instead kindness and the spirit of forgiveness. I had a question a few minutes ago and was asked, well, in the original, in the Greek, is it actually a command to be angry in the text? And I looked it up just now, and it is. And just double-check, but it is a command there to be angry, but do not sin. And so uh, we've kind of looked at that. We've talked about these different ideas. Today we're going to, be going to continue that theme of let's not live like those who don't know better. Instead, we are, being, we are those who are being changed into the image of God. Listen, we're all created in the image of God. But now we want to look more like him, and so that's what we're, where we're at. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Think of a child emulating their parents. We all know that this happens. And how many of you have children? Okay. Here's what we know about children, right? They watch, and they listen, and... Uh, for instance, if you have a child, you have to be careful what you say around them, don't you? Because what you say at some point, they are going to repeat, right? Uh, I remember a while back when I was teaching this, 
uh, same passage uh, a couple of years ago, I remember making the comment, well, I have one child in particular who I won't name tonight, and he doesn't do it as much anymore, but at the time, if we said something, he was going to repeat it. And at the time, we didn't have a lot of English-speaking friends around us, so here's what I understood. Where did he learn it from? Me, right? If he... If there's some things that he would say, and I'd think, oh, man. Now, there were other things that he learned to say that I thought, I don't say that. My wife doesn't say that. And we begin to have to really examine YouTube and the Internet and some other things at that moment. Because there were some things where I thought, oh, boy. But I'm willing to bet each of you have had an experience like that. And it's not just speech, is it? It's not that they just listen. What you do, they will do, right? And I'll, again, just kind of thinking about our own family. When I was a child, I had, I had a temper, okay? I was, I was a pretty, I was level-headed on most things, but there were just certain things that just set me off. And, and uh, my brother's probably not watching tonight, but if he is, I have an older brother, and he would, he loved to, like, antagonize me and get me going, and he just, whatever he could do to poke at me. And then when I would finally lose my temper and go off, he was either straight to my mother. Look, he's yelling at me again. Look, he's, he's trying to hit me. And I would always get the blame, and he didn't admit to this until we were in college. And uh, so anyway, it's always just interesting, but I see that sometimes in my children, right? I see things, and I go, huh, that looks familiar. I know that reaction because that was my reaction when I was a kid. And there's other things I think, I don't get that one, and I... It must be from my wife, right? (laughs) So this is Sunday night. We have a small crowd. Anybody ever had your child imitate you or do something to you that was maybe embarrassing or maybe made you really take a deep look at yourself? Anybody want to share one of those stories? Everybody's like, no, we're not going to talk about it. That's right. She says I'm meddling. You know, uh, if if this were more of a Bible study, I was going to put that on a question, you know, like on the page, and like see who would actually fill it out, and let's let's see if we can talk about it. But we've all been there. This verse says, "Be imitators of God as beloved children." You're His children, and we're supposed to look at Him, watch what He does. Look and see his characteristics, and that's what we're supposed to imitate. Now, I don't see Jesus walking around very often. So where do we, where do we go to learn how to imitate God? So Miss Susan's holding up this book, right? And uh, if you were in our Sunday school this morning, Brother Rip, he challenged us and said, Hey, who read the Sunday school lesson? And we're all like, eh, well... And we have to begin to think, well, are we reading the Scripture? Because if we're not reading and studying, how is it that we're going to imitate our Father? And Yeah, we can learn a little bit from one another, but we can also learn bad habits from one another, right? And so we always need to go back to the source. So in Ephesians 5, 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, I, I think about what we talked about, imitating your parents, and some of you didn't have the luxury of having good Christian parents and or even good parents.
But I want to tell you when we get to this, the good news is that we are to emulate our Father who is in heaven. We're to be imitators of God and there is no evil in him. Our parents could give us bad examples. I can give my children bad examples to follow. But God never gives us bad examples. He doesn't teach us and steer us in the wrong direction. So we don't learn our bad habits from him. We learn the good habits. And so that's where we start in today's text. Look down at Ephesians 5 uh, verse 2. He says, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. In other words, he says right there, walk in love. Didn't we talk about that this morning? Haven't we talked about that a few times? So I'm not going to belabor that point, but anytime it says in the scripture, I want you to walk this way, it's saying this is how your, your life is to be characterized. These are repeated patterns, repeated actions. It's an iterative sense of the term. And so we're to always be walking and repeating this action of what? Walking in love. Right? And that's why the scripture repeats it over and over again, because we need to hear it over and over again. Specifically in this text, in verse 2 at the end, you see that Christ loved you in this way. He gave himself up for us as an offering and sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. How is it that we're to love one another? Sacrificially, giving of ourself and uh, the, maybe the best example, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, you lay down your life for those that you love. Jesus did that for us, and we are called to do it for one another. Now, again, how often have you been called to physically die for someone in the church? Yeah, it, it's very rare, right? So how much more then should we gladly say, I'm willing to die to my rights? I'm willing to die to getting my way because I love my brethren. That I'm willing to offer them this forgiveness and you, and you, because in our hearts we start saying, they don't deserve that forgiveness. And you know what? They're right. And when Jesus died on the cross for us, did we deserve it? We sure didn't, right? And so it's that same kind of love. Let's love one another. Again, we've talked about this uh, several times, so I'm going to move on. Look down at verse 3. It says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. The word immorality there is the Greek word porneia. It's where we get our word for pornography. Uh, the, I think the King James says fornication there. And so it's any sort of Sexual immorality is what we're talking about. The translation, again, I'm teaching out of, which, which I love, is the New American Standard. It says immorality, King James, is fornication. And uh, honestly, my favorite translation here is probably the NIV on this verse. I looked at it, look it up, and it says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. In other words, he says, it's telling us there shouldn't be a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality among the believers. Now, we've all probably experienced that's not always the case in every church, is it? And this text is just reminding us 
Let there not even be a hint of it. We're going to spend some time this morning talking about sex and sexual sin because it is here in the text. And we're going to even come out of this in a, in a moment and look at this. But I want you to think about uh, Billy Graham, right? We know Billy Graham, and how did he handle his relationships with women? Anybody remember? He's famous for this. What did he do? He either had his wife with him, or what was the other? He would never be alone with him. You know, he took a lot of criticism for that. Who else in recent years took that stance and got blasted? in the media for it. Mike Pence, the former vice president, as he was up there, he said, listen, I, I won't be alone with a woman. And he took a lot of flack. And in, it's interesting this day of age of everyone with the Me Too movement and everything else. And like, this guy's trying to protect himself and protect women. And everybody's saying, that's terrible. I can't believe you would do that. Well, he, they decided, there, let's there, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality in my life. In other words, just don't leave the opportunity there, and you can avoid it. Now, anytime, pretty much, from the pulpit, we talk about sex, I feel like we just blast it, right? It's stay away from it. Sexual immorality is evil, and it is. If you would just kind of be patient with me for a moment, go... Think about Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, 28. I wasn't going to actually read it, but let me, let me do that as well. Verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I just point that out and say, Listen, God created us male and female by design. It was planned. It was part of his purpose. And so it is good that we are male and female. Obviously, since they were to reproduce, that sex was part of their makeup. It was their, part of their natures, part of who they were. It was given to them as a blessing so that they could carry out God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were to rule over the earth as God's representatives, and this was part of it. So I point that out to say to you that sex is not a result of the fall. You know, I've been told that before, and it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And I actually trace this back. If you go back and look, I, I love St. Augustine or St. Augustine, however you want to pronounce it. And I love a lot of his theology. I like I'm in, His writings are interesting. But he had very, very negative views about sex. And when you begin to read some of that, you realize it filters in to the church at large and it doesn't match what the Scripture teaches us. And so, as we talk about, hey, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality, we want to know that when sex is used the right way and in the right context, it is a good, wonderful blessing from God. And so we want to be clear as we teach that because I feel like we focus so heavy on the negative aspects of this that we miss teaching the blessing. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother 
be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The idea there was that as a child becomes an adult, they get married, they start their own household, they would become one flesh with their spouse. It says they were naked, they were not ashamed, there was no sin in it. And we're not going to read from Song of Solomon tonight. But as, as, because it makes us uncomfortable, right? Because it is a celebration of romantic love. And yes, there's depictions of Christ and the church in there as well. But there's some very vivid language in the text. And my point is simply to say this. It, within marriage, between husband and wife, sex is meant to be a good thing. It's meant to be a blessing to us. Um, again, Proverbs 15 I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 through 23. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of the sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. That's a hard verse because it starts out with the blessing. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in her. Be satisfied with her. And that word satisfied there actually means intoxicated. It's, that's the hint of romantic love between husband and wife. But then there's, it quickly follows in the warning that will bring us back into our text today that says, why should you be exhilarated with an adulteress? Why would you embrace the stranger? Because when you do, guess what? The, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He sees what you do. And then it says very clearly, his iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his own sin. You know, when we sin, when we go down that path into sexual immorality, we are wrapping those cords around ourselves. And those cords just lead to death and they always do they bring hurt they bring shame they bring um, literally death and so we find all that in there if you were to look in first corinthians chapter 7 you don't have to turn there even there we find that uh, there are men and women who are called to be single there are those that are gifted with singleness that they can be single-minded have that they would be able to have single-minded devotion to the lord Without the cares of a family, Paul refers to himself that way. But you know, for most of us, that isn't the case. And the church at Corinth was, they were wrestling with how to understand and view sex. Their culture practically worshipped sex. They would go to the temple. There were temple prostitutes. There were things that were required of the people. And so when we talk about idolatry, there were some serious idolatry going on, right? And you say, well, why are we talking about that? Because they, the Christians there begin to respond with the opposite. They say, well, let's just do away with sex. And so there's a reason he has to warn them and tell them, listen, the husband and wife are supposed to meet each other's needs. Now, you're supposed to care about her needs, and she's supposed to care about her husband's needs, and that's how this is supposed to work. He actually has to tell them that, that, listen, you, you need to continue to have sex within your marriage. And it's there as a blessing to them. Um, 
And even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, it says, But I say to the unmarried, to the widows, that it is good for them if they remain even as I, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I say all that to say this. There are scriptural uses for the intimate relationship between husband and wife. It is a blessing. And so what we find in Ephesians 5 is talking about sexual immorality, a wrong use of what God has blessed us with. So turn back in Ephesians 5. We'll just be clear that sex outside of marriage is sin, and sin always comes with consequences. We already looked at that passage in Proverbs 5 that said, For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with the adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. None of us today can say that we will die for lack of instruction. We're told to be imitators of God. We read the word and we find out that, hey, we know how we are to behave when it comes to our sexual nature and who we are as, as human beings. So no one here who's read the scripture and sat under this teaching can say that you die for lack of instruction. Sex outside of marriage in any way, shape, or form, sex, uh, sex not between one man and one woman inside of marriage is sexual immorality and it is sin. And that's what we're talking about in Ephesians 5. Here it says that it must not even be named among us. You know, they've done studies and found that the, the divorce rate among Christians is the pretty much the same as the culture around us. And I think there's some flaws in their study because there's a lot of people that call themselves Christian and check that off on a survey where we would say, you know, were they actually attending church? Because a lot of times they weren't. And we've, you know, you kind of, these surveys get skewed a little bit, but we've all seen and had, had to go through the hurt of seeing people separated and divorced. It's part of the world that we live in, and it's difficult. How often, though, has sexual immorality played a part in that? Unfortunately, many times that's the case, which means that just as in the culture at large, sexual immorality at times has been rampant in the church. They've done studies on sexual abuse within the church, and, and honestly, it's disgusting how many times it's been covered up. And I wrote these notes a couple of years ago, and now we see even more so that uh, that has happened in some places. There is no place for sexual sin among the people of God. You know, I, I was recently looking this up, and I was wondering, you know, with the SBC and everything else, and um, it's not just there, it's in the culture at large, right? You know, there, there, I forgot how many teachers a day in this country get in trouble for having sexual relationships with their students, but the number is extraordinarily high. I'm thinking it was like 100 a day. That's a massive number. And I hope I'm wrong on that. Don't quote me on that statistic. Uh, but just looking that up and you begin to see that our culture has some problems with, the sin, with sin. And they need to know that this says there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality in the church. So I just want to say that we're going to be clear. We're not going to cover that stuff up. 
you've got to handle sexual sin when it comes up. It's got to be something that we deal with. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this we know with certainty, that no immoral, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. Listen, that's, that's a hard teaching, and I want to kind of break that down and see what it means, but do you know that sexual immorality and covetousness is sin? And I want you to know that when you go back and look at the Ten Commandments, you know that there is the command of do not commit adultery, but in the command, do not covet, it names your, don't covet your neighbor's house, don't covet his wife, don't covet his servant. In other words, don't want what is not yours. Don't have that illicit desire for that which is not yours, which is forbidden to you. And in the truth is, sexual immorality is covetousness in its own way. We can apply do not covet to other things, but back then it was not desiring a woman who isn't your wife and who is the wife of another. No one who seeks living after these things has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, that's hard, isn't it? So let me ask you this. If someone at some point has fallen into sexual sin, are they barred from the kingdom of heaven? What about any other sin? Where would you draw the line to say that that person definitely not going to heaven? So as we wrestle with this text, I think what it means is those who pursue these things, there are people who live in unrepentant sin. And when they won't turn and admit that sin and confess it to God, then what it means is Jesus is not my Lord. They might have some kind of intellectual belief, but I believe there are those out there who would say, uh, listen, we just want to run in these sins, and it's not just sexual sin in this text. Uh, anyone who is, it says, covetous? Have you ever coveted something? Yeah, we all have, right? And I would even take it one step farther in the Sermon of the Mount. What did Jesus teach us about adultery? You guys remember? He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you what? If you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And I always, I always read the Sermon on the Mount, and it's supposed to be encouraging, right? But when you read it as an unbeliever, it condemns you under the law. In other words, none of us are perfect. We've all been saved by grace. We have all sinned. Uh, I dare say all of us have had some sort of sexual sin in our life. And even when you begin to look at that, we've all coveted. We've all been there. And so how can we say that this type of person has no inheritance to the kingdom of Christ? Because we're talking about those who are unrepentant. When we sin, we, we struggle with it because God disciplines us. But there are those who... In this case, probably these unbelievers who are going through their life and they're just living for themselves, like we talked about this morning. And those kind of people, unless they repent, they will not find themselves in the kingdom of heaven, will they? On judgment day, they won't be covered by the blood of Jesus. And it's not that specific sin. It's that they didn't turn with faith. 
and in faith come and repent and make Jesus the Lord of their life. And so we have to wrestle with that. What I want to say to you out of that is every time you sin doesn't mean you have to sit there and question your salvation. Because it's about grace. It is a gift of God to you. And it is about faith. But at the same time, we take sin seriously. Because if we don't, we, even now, if we sin and we're Christians, it will still wreak havoc in your life. And there's no clearer example than the cases of adultery and divorce. That it ruins homes. And some of you, unfortunately, have probably lived through that. And you know the hurt that it caused. And that's why today we're continuing to warn people, especially young people, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. You know, uh, just to, as a kind of to add to that, if you look back at Ephesians chapter 2, there it said we were all. I'll, I'll just go back and read it. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You guys hear that? And so like these people that we would say, well, they're sexually immoral, they're, they're covetousness, they're coveting. i got to figure out how to use that word correctly. That's a hard one. But they come to this and we say, well, we want to condemn them, right? And Ephesians says, you were all that way. Every one of you, but you've now been saved by grace and rescued, and so now we are called to live in a different way. We were formerly of the darkness, but we are now the light. So don't walk like the Gentiles, because you have been called out from them. Ephesians 5, 4. says, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Now here's your put-off, put-on principle. You're supposed to put off filthy speech and coarse jesting. In this context, I believe it's jokes and crude speech of a sexual nature. We're joking about sin. We're taking it lightly, and this isn't fitting or proper for those who are called to be separate from sin. So we put off the coarse jesting and the crude talking, and what do we put on? Thanksgiving, right? We put on giving thanks to the Lord. And so that's a big difference. Uh, again, in Sunday school this morning, Brother Rip asked, oh, who's ever said a bad word, you know? Well, let me ask you, who's never not said one? Okay? There's things, and, and it's more, than, again, it's, it's more of what's in our mind than what actually sometimes even comes out of the mouth, though, right? Because when we speak, what does the gospel tell us? What did Jesus tell us? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if we use dirty language, if we are full making lots of sexual immoral, immoral, sexually immoral jokes, guess what? That's coming from in here. So the things I'm meditating on and thinking on and dwelling on, those things are what has a tendency to come out. Now, who's ever been in a workplace, and there's always like one guy you work with that has all the dirtiest of jokes in the world, right? And if they find out you're a Christian, I guarantee you, you're the first person they're going to go to to tell those jokes because they want to see how you react. 
Can you avoid that in this world? You really can't in a lot of situations. I know I was 18 years old. I was working for the maintenance department. And uh, so I graduated and walked across the stage. The next morning I was there to take the stage down because I was working there for the summer. And there were some guys, I mean, they just, they had every dirty joke you could think of. And they knew, hey, this is a young guy. He says he's called to ministry. We're going to go tell him every joke that we can. And I just remember and just kind of, you can't avoid it. There's nothing you could do. You could be patient with him. You could talk with him. But don't you be that person. And that's what really amounts to is not, you don't be the person that's bringing sin into our conversations because the consequences of that sin is real. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and 20 say, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You don't belong to yourself anymore. So give your body and your mind to Jesus. Dedicate it to him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So you hear that? Again, we talked about that this morning, right? We want to know God's will. Well, is there sin involved in it? Well, in this case, there is. So it says put it off. Put on Thanksgiving instead. We already mentioned Billy Graham. But we have to take steps, don't you? We have to take steps to protect our morality, our sexual purity. And it's not, and again, not just that, but against all sin, we have to actively fight against it. How are we protecting ourselves against sin? I just want you to be thinking about that. Second, if you're, I just want to say this tonight too, if, if you're under the weight of guilt and shame this morning or this afternoon because you at some point have had sexual immorality in your life, maybe someone even sinned against you in that way, it doesn't mean that you constantly live in shame or that your life is over. Because Jesus offers forgiveness. That we come to Him, we confess our sin. And for those of us that have uh, sexual sin in our past, the forgiveness is there and it's given. And He is here offering it to everyone, just like with any other sin in life. So sexual sin isn't something that has to hang over your head for the rest of your life. You see, Satan wants you to try and hide that sin from God. To convince you that you have to hold it in. That you can't tell anybody about it. That you can't seek help and healing. But according to the scripture, that's not true at all. If God can forgive the men and women we find in the scriptures, if he can, feel, if he can uh, forgive Paul for dragging people out of their homes and seeing them killed, he can forgive you of a past sin that you are so ashamed of. Satan wants you to hide it, but know that everything comes to the light. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. So go to Jesus. If you're a victim of sexual abuse, I want you to know that you are a beloved child of God. 
There's no need for guilt. There's no need for shame. You need to seek out counsel. You need to begin to heal and know that you're loved. My last point of kind of application is if you're inside of marriage, if you're married, understand that sex is a blessing. Just be reminded of it. Work to maintain your relationship. Work to meet each other's needs. And that's important. God has told us to do these things. As we go in our time of invitation, think through if there's sexual sin in your past, you need to tell them about it. And he offers healing and forgiveness. Come to him today. And I know it's a hard text. I know it's a hard thing to think of and hard to talk about. But it's in the scripture. And so we need to be clear. And we need to follow what he's taught us. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this time of invitation, Father, if there's anybody here struggling under the weight of guilt, Father, I've, I know that Christ came to proclaim freedom to the captives, to set free the prisoners. And Father, you have cut the chains that we are no longer slaves to sin. And Father, you freely offer forgiveness to those that come and give their life to you. Father, if we would just confess it, Father, you can heal us. Father, I pray that as a church, you would help us not have a hint of sexual immorality in it. Father, that we would follow you and not this world. That we'd be your imitators. We would live as your children following your good example and not the examples we see in this culture. Father, I pray for everyone here and their marriages. God, I pray that you would strengthen them today. Father, that you would help us to nurture and continue to work on our relationships with our spouses. Father, tonight, I give you the glory for your word. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified, that you would help us to run hard after you. Help us to walk in love for one another. And Father, help us be a church that seeks holiness and seeks your will to be pleasing to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.